So it's good to be with you this morning. As I said, uh, the title of what I'm speaking on today is Hardness of Heart. And God has shown me that every Christian deals with hard-heartedness in some aspect of their lives and should deal with it on a regular basis. Remember, David said, Lord, search me and try me. Show, show me my heart, you know. We, we need to be always asking the Lord to show correction. And, and we can be hard-hearted in certain areas and then really sensitive to God in another area. And the definition of hard-heartedness is to be cold, insensitive, unyielding, unfeeling towards the Lord in some area. And so check your heart. Just begin to check your heart right now by the Holy Spirit and see if there's an area in your heart that's insensitive to God. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but we know that there was more than 5,000 there. I mean, they got a little lad, they got a child, a, a young boy that gave them the five loaves and two fish. So there were women and children there besides men. It says there were 5,000 men, so there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people there that God miraculously fed and had leftovers. Now think about that for a moment. You see, I think we can be hard-hearted about that. We get to reading these stories, and we don't just stop. We get so focused on getting through a, a parable or a, a story, we get so focused in getting, a, oh, I've got to get my daily reading through. We get religious about that, by the way. Reading through the Bible in a year. Well, I've got to get this in. How many times, you don't have to raise your hand this morning, but how many times when you've set out to do that, I, I'm just going to raise my hand already, and you've read a whole passage of Scriptures and done a whole devotional or a whole Bible study, and I can't even tell you what I just read because I was thinking about something else while I was reading. And that's kind of an indication of hard-heartedness. See, I just wasn't being sensitive to that. I was thinking my focus was somewhere else. So if you got to Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send the multitude away, send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And see, immediately, right there, they went back to the earth-cursed toil and sweat system. I don't have time to teach on that, but they went right back to the earth-cursed toil and sweat system, and immediately they were trying to solve the problem, not through miraculous, supernatural power of God, but through blood and sweat. See, two denarii worth of bread, one translation said, it's two months worth of wages. So they meant, oh, we, you know, how many times have you tried to solve your financial problems by getting three jobs? Earth, curse, toil, and sweat system, other than allowing the Lord to show you a supernatural way to overcome the adversity in your life, financially or whatever. Or we try to go to every doctor in the world when we have an ailment. Instead, just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm not saying you don't go to a doctor. We just heard an awesome testimony of 
doctors being used. But you better know what God said because I can tell you through past experiences that you better be an advocate for your own health because you might get dropped. You know, Bill's dad used to always say it was an insurance business. And he always said, yeah, it's like Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. Oops. That's, that's the way it is. You better be hearing God's what I'm trying to say. How many loaves do you have? Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all set down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, hundreds and in fifties. But when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke it. Right there, he separated jurisdictions from the earth-cursed toil and sweat system to the kingdom of God system. That's why we pray over our meals. Not because it's religious, but because we separate jurisdiction. That's why we pray over our business decisions. We separate jurisdiction. That's why we sow into the kingdom out of our businesses. We separate jurisdiction. Because we, we show the Lord. That's why you tithe. You separate jurisdiction in your business. You take it out of the earth, curse, toil, and sweat system, and you put it into the kingdom of God. You give the kingdom of God jurisdiction in your lives. He blessed and broke the loaves and gave to them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate, 20,000 people, from five loaves and two fish. They all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 basketful of fragments of the fish. Now these who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So there was 20,000 people who took five loaves of bread and two fish and God multiplied it to feed 20,000 and they all ate. And it doesn't say they just... I think even religious, we think they took a little pea-sized morsel and they just kind of ate it. And You know like those... Remember those old communion wafers? When I was a kid in church, they had those little square things. They weren't bigger than the end of a pen. And you had to, you know, take those. You couldn't dip them. You had to just take them and then take the little cup that was about the same size and drink. You know, we act like God just gave you a little old morsel. That's why I love when people come up and take communion and they take a big old hunk of bread. Dip it, especially kids. Dip that stuff down. I remember one time I was giving communion somewhere. It may have been here. And this little old boy took it, and when he, he pulled, he had a chunk of bread that was as big as that. And when he pulled it out, it was just dripping everywhere. He strung it across, and he got, he got that thing up there. I like that. Hey, let's don't just take a little. Let's receive all that God has for us. And so he fed 20,000 people. I mean, 20,000 Wrap your mind around it. Don't get, don't get, see, we get hard-hearted, and we just pass that right over. It just becomes a story. Or we understand the truth, but the truth doesn't... See, hard-heartedness doesn't mean that we don't understand the facts or the truth of it, but it doesn't influence our lives in any way. That's hard-heartedness. That's an example of hard-heartedness. Continuing on then. Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. So he just did an awesome miracle. Fed 20,000 people with five loaves, two fish. And they were all full and then picked up. Don't forget, not only were they all satisfied and full, there was 12 basket full of fragments. That's more than they started with. Way more. 
12 basketfuls from five loaves. That ain't even a full basket. Depends on how big the basket is, I guess. 12 basketfuls of fragments left over. That's the supernatural power of God. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. Now, I want you to underline that. He made his disciples to get into the boat. Underline that in your Bible, if you've got, you got your Bible open. He made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he would sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, this means basically it was about dark. It was like six in the evening. He sends the disciples over to the other side, and now by like two in the morning, the fourth watch of the night, they're halfway across. It was, it, it, you know, Bible scholars say that it, it's about, and I've been over there, it's about two hour trip across the water. And here it is, they're only halfway across and it's two in the morning. Been eight hours. How many of you know that's a whole lot of rowing and not much going? So the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Now if you kind of go to putting all this together, see, they're going and the boat is sinking. The thing's filling full of water. They're, all the disciples in there, they're afraid. They thought it was a ghost. Well, that's what it says next. He would have passed them by and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. I want to point out something right here. Jesus was walking on the very thing that was killing them. Their boat was sinking. But they had a word from God. See, if they would have just thought back, if their hearts hadn't have been so hardened, they would have thought back, wait a minute, Jesus told us to go. He made us get into the boat. Here, I'm going to just give me a little attitude here. These guys were fishermen, right, by, by trade? These guys knew the water. They knew the water like... Like I know cows, like I know farming, like I know dirt. They knew this water. About evening, don't you think they must have looked outside? He had to make them to get into the water. They looked out and they saw a storm was brewing. But they listened to the Lord. See, here these guys are hard-hearted. I'm fixing to show you that they're hard-hearted. But yet they still obeyed God. They did what He said, but they get halfway out there. And all heck breaks loose in their lives. The boat's sinking, the storms are brewing, and they, they fall apart like a cheap $2 suitcase. And so, they're in the water, they think it's a ghost! And he's walking across the water. He's walking on top of the very thing that's killing them. He's walking on top of COVID. He's walking on top of economy. He's walking on top of fuel prices. He's walking on top of inflation. He's walking on top of crazy governmental administration. He's walking on top of riots in the streets. He's walking on top of woke. He's walking on top of all that craziness. But see, we can get so hard-hearted that our focus... And how do we get hard? We consider not. Stay with me. Let's keep reading. They supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But, but, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. 
Do not be afraid. How many times in the Word of God have we heard do not be afraid? I'm telling you, if you do something motivated out of fear, you're missing God. You need to check yourself. You want to know whether God's telling you to do something? You always say, "Is this? am I motivated by fear? 2 Timothy 2.7, or 1 Timothy 2.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So He can't give you fear. If you're motivated by fear, it's not of Him. That tells you right there that we know God did not instruct you to go do whatever you're trying to do out of fear. Somebody here needs to hear that. Do not do whatever you're pondering to do if you're motivated by fear. Now there's a difference. When the Holy Spirit checks you, you won't be afraid. And you'll just obey it. Be of good cheer, it's I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed. Sorely amazed, I believe one translation says, in themselves beyond measure, and marveled. For, now get this, I want this underlined in your Bible, for they had not understood, is what the New King James, but I, I, I want to quote the King James, for they had not considered the loaves, because their heart was hardened. In other words, they, didn't, they weren't focused on the miracle that God had just done before He made them get into the boat. I mean, they should have been saying, look, I know it's stormy out there, but God just fed 5,000 people. Let's get into the boat and He'll take care of us on the way to the other side. Oh, but before we start considering how stupid those Israelites are, you know, you want to say stupid Jews, you need to say stupid you. How many times has God miraculously intervened in your life, but you forget about it when another situation comes and you go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? When yet He just delivered you by the miraculous, supernatural power of God. Hardness of heart is not considering the supernatural. When you're considering, let me put it to you this way, this is what bruised me when the Lord began to speak to me about hardness of heart. He began to speak to me. You're considering inflation. You're considering short supplies. You're considering interest rates. You're considering lack of capital. You're considering all these things in my business because I sit in the office and I analyze these things and I look at, I look at all kinds of data that I have coming in. I look at my financials. I look at my... Uh, I look at my inventories. I call and I talk to vendors and they tell you, oh, we're not going to have that. We don't know if we'll get that. And, you know, and, I, and I begin to consider that more than I begin to consider the supernatural power of God. God has always seen me through whenever I've turned to Him. But you see, my heart began to get hardened because, see, I, I didn't consider supernatural. I considered everyday natural. Let me tell you something. If our lives are not supernatural, they're superficial. I'm going to say that again. If our lives are not supernatural as Christians, born again, especially baptized in the Holy Ghost, Christians, our lives are superficial. If you can't look back to seeing something supernatural in your life to where only the miraculous power of God changed that situation then you're living super, superficial lives. That's tight, but it's right. 
But we need to begin to see we're hard-hearted. These were disciples. They'd sold their businesses out to follow Jesus and, and later to even at the risk of their life. And some of them died. Yet, God calls them hard-hearted. Do you think maybe we could be hard-hearted? Maybe I'm just preaching to me this morning. Let me tell you something. The reason I'm pointing this out is you can't take the cure if you don't know the problem. You see, if you don't even know you're hard-hearted, how are you going to get cured of it? Because I think that we think hard-hearted is, is all about sin. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, he does say sin. I want to read that scripture. I'm going to read it out of my phone. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So I'm not saying that you know, sin doesn't harden our hearts. It does, but I'm, I'm going past that because I think most of us get the picture that sin's going to harden our hearts. You're not going to hear God uh, while you're plotting somebody's murder. You're not going to hear God while you're in sexual sin. You're not going to hear God while you're cheating on your wife or wives are cheating on your husbands. You're not going to hear God. Because you've hardened your heart. But I'm talking about while you're following God and you're trying to do the right things, but you get focused on the wrong thing. You begin to focus you see, when you consider, it's said in uh, Romans 4 that Abraham considered not his own body, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. When God had told him he could have a child, his focus was on the promise of God. Is your focus on the economy, shortages, a diagnosis from the doctor, your marriage, or is it on the promises of God? that He'll restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. On the promises of God. You see, the Lord told me in December, I looked it up again this morning, it was in December the Lord spoke to me, He said, this is the year of the double for you. This is the year of double. Well, I want to tell you something right now, I don't know if I've publicly told this or not, but at the time I had two grandchildren coming. Two grandbabies coming. One of them was a miscarriage. You see, all of a sudden, the enemy comes in. In uh, Isaiah, I believe it's 43, when the enemy comes in, we always read it like this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. There's no punctuation in the Hebrew. We added that. I believe what God's trying to say to us is when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Where's your focus? Are you considering the enemy's flood? Or the power of God's flood? See, religion has made us put the... Religion has put the comma in there for everybody. Well, brother, you know when the enemy comes in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Well, it means the same thing, but it don't mean the same thing. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. How many of you seen those pictures of tsunamis over in India and everywhere else whenever they have an earthquake out in the ocean? And here comes a tidal wave, a flood. It destroys everything in its wake. Well, why don't we ever, why don't we ever consider... 
that the power of God will do the same thing in our lives. It will destroy the enemy. Yeah, you can give a hand clap. Thanks for that thunderous one amen. Why? Because we focus on our problems. We focus on COVID, wearing masks, mask mandates, political agendas, the problems of the economy, inflation. What are we going to do to pay the bills? What about the drought? What about all that stuff? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. He gives us spiritual tools to defeat. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That just means they're not fleshly. Why do we want to get into the flesh? We consider this old natural flesh. The only way we're going to get out of this is we can figure it out. We can work it out. I don't mean don't work. But I mean we're just going to, we're going to blood, sweat, and toil our way through this situation. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty. How many of you need a mighty breakthrough? This morning. How many of you watching need a mighty move of God? Quit trying to do it in your flesh. Quit trying to figure it out in your flesh. But begin to consider something else. Begin to consider supernatural. The weapons of our might, warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know what strongholds are? They're imaginations and thoughts in your heart. That's what a stronghold is. It's something that keeps you from thinking, well, I'll never be able to do that. I remember one time Bill told a story about a fella who they were talking about skid steers 20 years ago. They were talking about skid steers. Something as simple as a skid steer. And Bill said, one of these days I'm going to have one. And the other guy said, oh, oh, I, I, I probably won't ever have one of those. He had a stronghold that he could never have a skid steer. Bill has a skid steer. But you see how a stronghold could hold you back? I'm talking about just simple, simple things. Why? Because of hardness of heart. Did the other person ever consider the supernatural power of God? I can answer that, no. But they only considered, how am I going to come up with the down payment for one? How am I going to make this work? How am I going to work hard enough to get this to work? You remember the disciples when he said, go get them something to eat. And they said, oh, it's going to take all this money to buy enough to feed all these people. What are you considering? If you're not considering the supernatural power of God, I'm going to say it again. If you're not considering the supernatural power of God today in your life, your marriage, your finances, your uh, relationship, some drug addiction, if you're not considering the supernatural power of God, you are hard-hearted toward God in that area. You may love the Lord, you may be going to heaven, but you're hard-hearted in that area. How am I going to pay the light bill? You're hard-hearted. Because you've considered not the supernatural power of God. When you need to be considered not, how are you going to pay the light bill? 
I've given this testimony before. I used to think, how in the world will I ever pay for my college kids' education? Because at one time in my life, I puked up my kids. They had a college fund. Marianne worked for Fidelity Investments when we married. She was a stockbroker with Fidelity Investments until she moved to Amarillo from Dallas. Not much opportunities for women stockbrokers in the early 80s in Amarillo, Texas, or Hartford, or Vega. So we had these savings, mutual funds that we had, had put for our children. They were two, and, or three and two, one, I mean. And, and so we'd started putting savings into these mutual funds, and they were doing pretty good. But I came to a place in my business that it was kind of like, I need to get my hands on every bit of capital I can get my hands on just to stay in business. And so I grabbed my kids' mutual funds, and I gave it to the bank. I said, here you go, as well as my stuff. And so years later, when my kids got into high school, I was like, Lord, how will I ever pay for these kids? And then I'd just stop myself. I would catch myself, and I'd say, I'm not, I consider it not. Somehow, some way, God, you will supernaturally send my kids to college. Guess what? Both of my kids graduated from college on full ride scholarships that they just got here. It wasn't one big thing. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an athletic scholarship, by the way. About 4% get those. It was ag scholarships. It was uh, uh, scholastic scholarships. And it came from here, and it came from there. You can't just say, oh, you know, you see, because here's what we all want to do when we get in the flesh, because we consider not the supernatural power of God. We think, boy, good thing for that Houston Livestock Scholarship. No, it was not one thing. They came in from here and there and there. And I remember my oldest son one day, we were sitting in the office, and he's over there. You've probably heard this before, but I'm telling it again, because I want you to encourage, be encouraged this morning by God when we consider not the situations we're in, but we don't harden our hearts and we make our hearts sensitive towards God. My, my oldest son's sitting over in the other desk, Mary Ann's desk. I used to have this office that was... It was small enough that if you got on the phone, you had to go to the bathroom to talk because they couldn't hear over it. You know what I mean? And so he's sitting over at the other desk and I hear him go. I look at him and say, what are you doing? He goes, I'm looking at my bank account. He said, Dad, I'm going to graduate from college and have $8,000 still in my pocket. I said, that is the supernatural power of God. My youngest son graduated college and had $3,000 left over. And I'm not going to say, well, praise the Lord for the Houston lobster. I don't even think they got that. Praise the Lord for the... I'm going to say praise the Lord because I know where that came from. It was God. And the Lord even showed me on one of them whenever I'd sowed a seed 20 years earlier at Oral Roberts University for dorm reformation. I sowed a $500 seed and said, God, you'll take care of my kids' college education. And guess what? One of the scholarships was a free room and board for two years, $11,000 scholarship that we didn't even apply for. Didn't even apply for it. It just came out of the blue. That's, that's the code for Jesus. Okay, so I prayed. Let me tell you. So I prayed, you know, before you get to thinking, 
Man, that's awesome. He's super spiritual. Let me just tell you the other side of the coin. I'm going to be transparent and tell you the other side of my hard-heartedness. Here, a little over a year ago, I even taught here and I taught on our television show about the power of rest. Do you remember that? Any of you remember it? If you don't, you're probably hard-hearted because you, that's part of hard-heartedness. You don't remember any of it. But I was teaching on the power of rest. And, you know, if you go back into Exodus, you know, that on the sixth day, He gave them a double portion so that they entered into the rest on the seventh day. It was a tight and shadow to show us how to live. It, Hebrews chapter 4 says that we labor to enter into His rest. It's not talking about just snoring. Although physical rest can be a part of it, Pastor Guy actually talked about that last week. But it's a place of faith. We labor to enter into that place of faith. And the only way that it's possible to go, like in a Sabbath year when you go three years without a crop, is that He gives you the double portion beforehand that you live off of the same way He gave them a double portion on the sixth day, so the seventh day they didn't gather. And so the Lord began to show me, I'm going to give you a double portion. Yes, amen. I preached on it, talked about it. God's going to give me a double portion. Guess what happened? A big double portion came and I never recognized it. Until the Lord began to deal with me this last week. You're hard-hearted. And supernaturally, the Lord brings it to my remembrance. And I was like, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm getting back on. I'm making a course correction. Remember the astronauts going to the moon? I'm making a course correction. They slung, that, they slung that rocket at the moon. It wasn't precision. They just said, hey, let's light her up and see where it goes. And they, they just threw that thing at the moon. And they made course corrections all the way and landed within a 500 square landing zone. They landed three foot inside the line or a foot and a half, something like that. 500 square miles. But they still made the target. That's the way our lives are. We have destinies. We have God is trying to get us somewhere, but we got to get course corrections. He shows us we're hard-hearted. We make a course correction because basically living life by faith is slinging it at the moon. But we determine how we end up. Because the grace of God is the rocket boosters that slung us towards the moon. Our dominion and our authority is how we steer the ship. He's given us dominion. He's given us authority. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds are, are these imaginations of, oh, I'm, I'm going to go broke. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to have enough toilet paper. Toothpaste. I'm going to go hoard it up. Dear God, you know where there is any? That fear, see? Those are, those are strongholds. We're going to run out of beans. Y2K. Strongholds. Remember, some of y'all don't even remember Y2K. Dear God, Y2K, they just want you to bunker up, buy a bucket, and get out in a bunker, and all you had to do was add two drops of water to it, and it explode into a T-bone dinner. You could live for 30 days on that bucket. What drove all that fear? And it was being sold on Christian television too, by the way. And Christians, I'm sad to say, were, they were promoting the buckets in the bunkers. 
Get your gun, hold up. Get you a five-gallon bucket full of that insto into food. The stronghold. Verse 5, casting down arguments. One translation says casting down imaginations. Or what you're considering. Remember the definition of consider? Did I ever give you all the definition of consider? Here it is. It's to ponder, to meditate, to think on, to imagine. When you consider something, let me tell you something, you can't sin unless you've considered it. I can't believe that old boy cheated on his wife. Well, he'd already considered it before he ever did it. I can't believe he killed her. He'd already considered it. It's like whenever, now praise the Lord, my buddy didn't ever do this, and he's a, he's a successful guy in Austin, Texas now. But I love to tell this story. When he and I student taught together, we were neither one of us called to teach. I was miserable. You talk about throwing a fish up on the bank and watch him go. That's the way I felt. I hated every second of it. He did too. My buddy's name was Todd. Todd was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He taught it on the side. That was the only thing he enjoyed teaching. And so I remember we would leave teaching school and we had a bunch of these little degenerates. It was a a 3A school turned 5A like that one year. And man, we had pot-smoking, drug-dealing, 21-year-old, had a 21-year-old senior in one of our classes. He was selling all the drugs. And so, I mean, they didn't have a lot of discipline. We'd drive back to Lubbock. And I'm just going to we couldn't wait to go find the beer joint to get us a case of beer because we was looking for another way. I'm just telling you, this is way back there. I was in college. And we'd drive back to Lubbock. And I remember that my friend Todd, he talked like this. He said, Rog, today I was in class and I was imagining. He had this 21-year-old drug dealer sitting in the back always mouthing off. The only reason he was in school was to sell drugs. He didn't care if he passed or failed. And he disrupted the whole class. And we were student teachers. It wasn't like the teachers they had didn't exercise any authority. We sure had no authority. We're going to tell your teacher on you like that was going to do any good. And so old Todd sat there and goes, I was sitting there and I was imagining. And he called this kid by name. He said, I was imagining Jerry. And he said, he said, I know enough jujitsu, I could snap his neck like a chicken. And he said, I was sitting there thinking about it. He had already gone there. Praise the Lord, he never did kill him. But he had gone there. He had considered it. And of course, I was like, do it. You know, do it. Amen, brother. You know, I didn't talk like that then. I didn't say amen, brother. But what you consider is where you go. Amen? Oh, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord. They didn't understand about the loaves because their hearts 
were hardened. They didn't understand about the loaves, or they didn't consider the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They had just had a miracle. They should have been thinking, man, Jesus will be along any minute. We got a word from Him. He told us to go to the other side. He's got our back. He'll be here any minute. Instead, they fell apart. And it says they would have passed Him by. It says Jesus would have passed them by. I mean, Jesus knew what they were into. He's the one that put them in that situation. But yet, He comes walking on top of the problem, and He was going to the other side if they had not called out to Him. You see? We get so busy considering all of our difficulties. It's like one time I said, well, let's pray about it. And another fellow said, has it come to that? Of course it's come to that. But see, they had never considered that. I can tell whenever I minister to people, because I, I actually I probably minister to more non-church people than I do church people. And you say, well, let's pray about it. You can tell, they go, really? They'd never considered, because all they could consider was the natural answer. So anyway, I, the Lord showed me I'm hard-hearted. Y'all thought I'd forgot that story, didn't you? So I'm hard-hearted, and the Lord began to show me. He spoke to me about double portion. Well, y'all have heard me tell about how God spoke to me in 2000 and, oh gosh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago now, maybe 15 now, that I was going to have wind turbines. And everybody told me, there's no way, no way they'll ever build them up on the flat. No way. They've been producing for two years now. And so year two, I've heard how well they paid the minimums. And God begins to speak to me about the double portion. They called me up with a lawyer one day. And they said, praise God, it was the one time I didn't hear due to the COVID. <laughs> it was due to the circumstances. And I'm going, and, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't going, glory to God, tell me something good. I was like, what? Due to the circumstances. Bottom line, what they said is due to the circumstances, those have kicked into the royalty phase, and it ended up, it was a double the amount of income in one year of what one year normally produces. And I got it in one quarter. Double portion. Double portion. I didn't even see it. Because I was too busy considering Everything else, what's going on? I, I mean, I'm called to ministry, but I'm considering ministry things that are coming ahead. I'm con called to farm. I'm considering, what, well, let's see, how am I going to get that tractor? Yeah, 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 hey, praise the Lord. What am I going to do about this tractor? You see how you can miss? That's how people all the time can come to church. Somebody can get radically changed by the word that was preached and the others walk out the door and they, they're eating down at El Jalis goes and said, man, that was a good word. What, what was it about? I, I, I don't know. It's something about uh, snapping a chicken's neck. <laughs> really? That's all you got out of the sermon? Hard-heartedness. It's cold, insensitive, unyielding, unfolding towards the Lord in some area. They were sorely amazed. 
How many times have we believed God to do something and then we're like, oh, I can't believe it! Did you just hear what you said? I hear Christians all the time say, you know, they're, they're, I'm praying with them for a miracle and it happens and they go, I can't believe it! I can't believe it! And they just go around, I can't believe it! Can you believe it? Andrew Womack one time told a story, I'll never forget. He told a story about he went and he, he laid hands years ago. He laid hands on a kid that was cross-eyed. Bad cross-eyed. And he said, now in the name of Jesus. And he said, I started to tell him, now sometimes God does miracles. It's instant. And sometimes it takes a little process of time. But it's still a healing. You need to receive this. And he said, but I thought, no, I'm going to go ahead and pray for him. And he said, I laid hands, stuck my thumbs on his eyes, and when I took them off, his eyes were straight. And he said, guess what I said? I can't believe it. He said, his eyes instantly went. Pfft. He said, I prayed for another 20 minutes. And he said, I felt horrible. He said, I just, he said, I pray that young guy went home and he believed God and he got his eyes straight again. But he said, my hardness of heart squelched the miracle. Are you hard-hearted today? Where is your heart? Turn in your Bibles a couple of pages in mine to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Now this is after, this is just right after he fed 20,000 people. We call it the feeding of the 5,000 men. In those days the multitude, uh, this is chapter 8 verse 1. In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry in their own houses, they'll faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Do y'all just want to go, Stupid! I mean, do y'all not read that? Or did you just get religious and you just read? I mean, I have. I've read it. You just, you just read that and go, Oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. No! You're sitting there thinking he just fed 20,000 people and just a day or two later this happens. And they go, how are we going to do it? I mean, it's kind of like that old ad. Wow, I should have had a V8. It's kind of like, wow. I should have considered the miracle work and power of God instead of being hard-hearted. So it goes on. And uh, let's see, in, in verse 13, he feed, by the way, he, he feeds and he multiplies, and there were seven large baskets of fragments left over. And there were about 4,000 people who he fed. Multiplied the food the same way, same miracle, different numbers. Verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. I mean, you know, hey, they didn't take bread with them. They've been multiplying it. But these guys, they forgot to get something to eat. They didn't pack their lunch before they got in the boat. 
And he charged them saying, listen, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, he's talking about the religious spirit of the religious leaders. He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves. That's the first problem. They're trying to figure it out. They reasoned among themselves. How many times do you try to reason among yourself? How, how, well, how is God going to do this? They reasoned among themselves, we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to him, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? I mean, if you just put that in West Texas, he's thinking, y'all are the dumbest bunch of disciples. That's why, I think that's why we say it in West Texas, duh, disciples. Duh. Duh, disciples. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? You see, not remembering is tied to a hard heart. When we, when we have a hard heart, we forget things. Just like I forgot that God had told me a double portion. And it never dawned on me that when God brought it through, it was part of the double portion. And, and here, I hear it all the time. You know, you go and you pray with somebody in the hospital. They're on, they're, they have cancer. And they're taking chemo. And they look like they've been gut shot, about half dead. Because chemo, if it don't kill you, sometimes it cures you. And we rush to go do that. And so we go to the hospital. We pray for somebody with cancer. And God miraculously hears, heals them. And a few weeks later, you hear them talking about, yeah, that chemo really worked. Duh. Disciple. You're going, really? You really think that stinking chemo's what did that? God did. Now, God might use the chemo. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you better know where your miracle's coming from. You better know where the answer really is. And it's not with the doctors. I done, I've already told you about how I had my doctor. My, my mother in the hospital a few weeks ago, they wheeled her around, did some tests, hooked her back up. She fell asleep. I'm studying for the message before I preach here that Sunday or somewhere. I'm studying for the message. I'm thinking, praise the Lord, she's finally asleep instead of moaning in pain. They forgot to turn her oxygen. They put it back on her. They forgot to turn her oxygen on. She was oxygen depraved. I was fixing to leave and I decided, no, I want to wake her up. I couldn't wake her up. Her oxygen was 54. It's supposed to be 94 or 5. They got the oxygen to her, and about an hour and a half later, she's finally coherent again. If I hadn't have been there, do you think they would have ever noticed that the oxygen wasn't on? I would have gone home, my mom would have died, and we'd have thought, wow, she was doing so good the day that I left. She'd gotten more coherent. I know that it was the Lord, and I happened to hear Him, and I listened to Him, and I obeyed Him. I went and started trying to wake her up. All right, that's enough of that. You better hear God's what I'm, my point and all that. I'm not criticizing doctors and nurses, 
But you go into that place, you better be armed with the spiritual armor of God. Because in an environment like that, you're going to hear the worst case scenarios. They're going to just try to get you to consider everything else. It sounds like this bunch that's got your brother-in-law, praise God, they're considering all the great things. That's miraculous in itself. What a testimony of God. Because most of them want to tell you if this don't work. You want to sign a DNR? That's the first thing they say to me every time I take my mom. I say, do you have a DNR signed? I sound like I'm on doctors. I'm not. I'm just, I'm on trusting them. Quit idolizing them. They're practicing physicians. And I always say, let them practice on you. Let's believe God. If we'll, if we'll quit being so hard-hearted, we'll start expecting supernatural healing. And we can bypass the doctor. When's the last time you considered that? If it's been a long time, maybe you're hard-hearted in that area. Listen, hard-heartedness doesn't mean you don't know the truth. It's just, you don't perceive the truth in a way that will change your life. They didn't remember. Remember over in Romans chapter 1, Bill was talking about being thankful. Romans chapter 1. I believe it's 21. Romans 1, 21. It's talking about... Let, let me go to 20, verse 20. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's talking about the world is without excuse because they see from the mountains. They see from the rivers. They see not worshiping them like tree huggers do nowadays. But seeing that its beauty comes, it has to come from God, a Creator. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him. One translation says magnify Him. When we magnify Him, we look through the lens of a... Have you ever looked through the lens of a, a binoculars? And you look through them right. It magnifies what's way out there. But what we do is we flip the binoculars and we magnify where we are. And all of a sudden, what's out there looks tiny. It's the promise of God begins to look. They didn't magnify Him. The promise of God looks littler than the current situation. They don't consider the supernatural power of God. They glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Unthankfulness. Never saying thank you to the Lord. Never being grateful for what we have. Never being grateful for what He's promised you. Even though you don't see the manifestation of it right now. If when you understand that He's already given you all the healing, He's given you all the prosperity, He's given you all the deliverance, He's given you all the eternal life, He's given it all to you. That's called the grace of God. And by faith we receive it. When we begin to understand that, we start thanking Him even when the manifestation has not yet happened here in this earth realm. Guess what? We start thanking. We start thanking Him and we start seeing the manifestation. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And what happened? Their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. Or they became hard-hearted. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. God gave them over to uncleanness. Basically, their hearts. You ought to go read that and continue on reading that a little bit further. Go to Exodus chapter 8, and then I'll start closing. Exodus chapter 8. This is Pharaoh and the deliverance out of Egypt. And I want to start with the... I'm going to start in verse 8, but I'm going to kind of give you the background. So Moses and Aaron are going before Pharaoh because they have... God has brought plagues on Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people released. He wouldn't let them out of slavery. And so frogs, in verse 8, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that He may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I'll let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When shall I intercede for you? In other words, he's saying, Well, tell me when you want me to pray for you. And so he said, tomorrow, and said, let it be according to your word. Moses told him, said, let it be according to your word. But, if you go on down here to verse 15, he got, he, the, the frogs dried up and died and the place stunk, it says, in between here and there. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So he hardened his heart again, he got a little relief. See, that's what happened. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the greatest obstacle to our spiritual success is financial success. We let up. See, we, we got relief from, from the troubles of life, and so we let up. How many times have we seen people come to church here, and I mean their marriage is busted, they're on drugs, they get delivered, their marriage gets restored, and the next thing you know, we never see them again, they're over at Ute Lake on the lake with a ski boat that God's blessed them with. They let up, their hearts became hardened. They considered the ski boat more than they considered Jesus. And it goes on and on and on. Moses, Moses says, entreat the Lord, get rid of this plague. They get rid of the plague, then he hardens his heart again. Over and over and over. Hardness of heart doesn't mean that you don't know what's true in your heart. It just means that that truth isn't productive. You can quote Isaiah 53, 5, that by his stripes you were healed. Matthew 8, 19, that... He did all these things so that uh, he took the infirmities and took the sicknesses so that it will be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah by his stripes you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 is looking back at the cross and says by his stripes you were healed, not are healed. You were healed. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, above all things that you prosper and be in health. Even as your soul prospers. That's the will of God for your life. That you prosper and be in health. Even as your soul prospers. Guess what your soul is? Your mind, your will, and emotions. What you're considering. Beloved, I, let me say it again. Beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health. 
in accordance with how you're considering. Is your heart hardened this morning? That looks like a good get-off spot. Is your heart hardened this morning? Maybe the Lord's pointed out to you where, just like He showed me, I need to begin to... I need to begin to soften my heart in other areas to receive all that God has for me. I need, man, I'm telling you, you know how God spoke to me? I've been in the office. And I've been in the office, it seems like, for months. Like I can't even hardly get out of the office. I, love, I, I, I farm because I love to farm. But I'm in the office because I'm the office guy. And I'm stuck in there and all I'm doing is analyzing data. And working on the computer. And I'm lousy at it. But somebody's got to do it. Marianne works circles around me. She's like that little Tasmanian devil. Have you done this yet? Have you done that? I said, I'm still just trying to answer the phone. Quit telling me something else I need to do in here. And meanwhile, the phone's ringing and they need to meet with me and they want to talk to me and this guy wants to come sell me some snake oil and he's coming from Georgia. And dear God, I said, I don't care how much snake oil you got, that snake oil ain't going to make my cotton come up unless it rains. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. But I promise you'll see a distance. I said, dude, you don't get it. Unless it rains, the seed ain't even going to germinate. Because Georgia, when they're dry, it's only rained six inches. The spirit of slap wanted to come through the phone and hit him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You've been hard-hearted. And you've missed God. I missed God's best for my life. But here's the good thing. I can just make a course correction. And I'm right back on path. And everything that I thought I missed is right back in my destiny. You remember the, you remember the scripture where he says, The last shall be first. And the first last. That means if you missed out and you saw God doing all this other stuff, He'll put you right back to where you're in front of everybody else. That's what restoration with God is. But you've got to consider that you can go ahead of everybody else with the power of God. You've got to consider that God will do supernatural. Get your mind off of the economy. Get your mind off the drought. Get your mind off the high prices. Get your mind off the high price of God. Can He not multiply the fuel in your tank? I know miraculous stories. Glenn Smith traveled one time and didn't even have enough fuel to make it. He was going 100 miles and it was back in the 70's. The other inflation and shortage of gas. All the stations were closed. Out of gas. Out of gas. And he's in the middle of nowhere. And he said, God, you called me to get to wherever it was. He said, you'll multiply. He said, I stuck my finger out there in the gas tank. He said, I always thought to myself it'd be humorous if somebody had drove by and said, what are you doing, brother? I'll just fill it up. <laughs> and he said, I told that gas to multiply in the name of Jesus. And he said, I drove way past what that tank should have done. And he said, I ran out of gas and I came down a hill and there was a gas station that he coasted into. And they shut the lights off as he coasted into it. And when he pulled in, he goes in there and he beats on the door and he says, Hey, I'm out here. I need some of your gas. I saw your lights just go off. And they came. And they got to talking to him. He said, what do you do? He said, I'm a preacher. He said, God called me. He's multiplied the gas. And I pulled in here. I come down the hill, ran out, coasted in, blah, blah, blah. He's telling them the whole story. And guess what they said to him? They said, you know, 
I was going in the back room. I've been depressed. And I was fixing to pull a gun out and kill myself. And he miraculously, out of the blue, coasts into this gas station in the middle of nowhere and ministers life to this guy. Saves his life. What are you considering? 